This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week is National Pollinator Week, and I thought it was a perfect time to revisit my conversation from 2019 with entomologist Nadia Ruffin of Cincinnati, Ohio. Nadia helps us all offer respect and greater understanding to all of our insect friends, from cockroaches to spiders to the pollinators we love and champion more frequently. This episode was an extension to a Habitat Garden series in the spring of 2019. And in our conversation with Nadia, who is not only an entomologist, but a gardener and educator, we step back a bit to consider how we learn and know the world around us in order to want to create habitat and know where to start. In my mind, this starts with how we as children had this learning and appreciation model to us. If we were taught to be afraid of spiders and snakes and snails, protecting their valuable positions in our world will not come easily. If, however, we are taught to see every creature as interesting and valuable in their own right, this respect will come far more naturally. Nadia is founder of Agricademy Inc., Urban Farm Sista, and Kiwi Produce, all based in Cincinnati. Nadia, like many excellent teachers out there, works at all levels to model to youth and the rest of us the wonder of the science of the lives of insects and all that they make possible. Enjoy this conversation and happy National Pollinator Week. Thank you. Give us a little bit of sense about what you do every day with your work in entomology, teaching, mentoring, advocacy. What do you what do you do, Nadia? So currently with uh, Agricademy, what I do is I go to schools as well as uh, if there's organizations and things, and I teach about agri-science but entomology being the main focus. So agri-science is talking about the science of agriculture. Uh, many people think agriculture is just farming. Mm. Agriculture is a, it's a huge industry. It's not just farming. There's so many different components to it that people are not even aware of, and entomology is one of those. And so what I do is I bring insects, and I actually teach people about the importance of them. Uh, I have an entomology club at one school where I meet with the children every month, and every month I bring a different insect and I educate them about it. So I've bought, I've brought cockroaches, and I told them about the importance of cockroaches. You know, cockroaches get a bad name because of certain ones that be, become pests in our homes, but in reality, cockroaches are very vital for the environment. They actually are decomposers, and they break down things like. Um, decomposing plant matter as well as animals and other waste. And if they were not there, what would happen is all that waste would build up and then, you know, it would not break down and it would just be there and that could become, you know, toxic and things for the environment. So they're very important. Then I also teach about the things that we use that are derived from insects. And one thing that I did teach about was silk. People didn't realize that silk actually comes from silk worms. And it comes from the cocoons. And I, you know, I explain to the children, you know, this is the process, you know, the insect undergoes uh, incomplete metamorphosis. And what we do is we take those cocoons and the insects are actually killed in the process. And they had to learn that 
you know, that that's part of the process, but they actually take that thread and they make fabric and they can make, you know, clothing and things for us. So I try to educate people on not only the important aspects of insects in the environment, but also insects that we use and the importance of that. Like when it comes to honeybees, we only want them for their honey, but in reality, they need that honey to actually survive. So it's, it's you know, creating that link between human and back to nature and understanding why things do the things they do and why they make the things they do. And it's not always for us. In fact, it's never for us. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I've been following your work for quite a while now. And the cockroach lesson really got me. So I really, I love the cockroach lesson and the, the kids' faces. And and then I have to admit that I don't think I, as a grown-up, educated, nature-loving adult, realized that the silkworms had to die in order for the, the silk to be harvested. So that made me kind of sad and rethink uh, silk. But give us the age ranges that, that you're working with at this time, Nadia. Uh, Currently, I work with children that are in kindergarten all the way up to high school level. So I've worked with all age groups, um, seniors down to kindergartners. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, That's what I thought based on the the faces I was seeing, but I, I couldn't tell exactly. So... This brings me to the question of of you and your your history and how you came to be interested in this work and what were your earliest sort of models and influences in terms of people or animals or places that taught you this love and curiosity for for science and um, these life processes, Nadia? Well, it actually started very young for me, probably about three or four years old. Mm -hmm. I was always interested in science and especially insects, and my parents thought I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I would go to my great-grandmother's house, and she really, like, honed in on my love for insects. So anytime I would go over there, she would always have a jar of insects for me. She would have, like, she put uh, spiders and beetles and ants and all types of stuff in the same jar. And at like four years old, I was telling her, Grandma, you can't do this. The spiders are going to eat the the, 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 uh, the uh, ants and you can't do that. You can't <laughs> put them all together. And so, you know, I was educating my great grandmother at four and she just she was like amazed with it. Uh, she would let me go out and garden with her. And then we would go and sit on the porch and I would just pick up any little insect that was there. And I would just start educating her about it. And I don't know. It's kind of like innate. Like I just knew it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and then like once I got into school, like kindergarten, I would always check out the little books in the library that we had at our school about insects or animals. I love animals, all, all types of animals, not just insects and I just always had this interest, like when most girls were out, you know, playing with dolls, I was out catching toads and lizards. And, mm. and I was like trying to educate even at a young age, like, like my peers. So I just always had this interest. And as I got older and I went to high school, I was really interested in veterinary medicine. And when I graduated and went to college, that was my main focus at first was trying to get into vet school. But in my undergrad, I got sick and my grades dropped. But I was actually working in veterinary medicine and working in research and things. And, you know, after I graduated, I was trying to take classes, you know, improve my GPA. But after working in that environment, it just reminded me of human medicine and how, you know, medicine isn't what it used to be. It's more just popping pills and, you know, pharmacy and 
it wasn't about actually treating and, you know, preventing. It was more about just medication. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I'm not really interested in this. And then I had a position when I was working in oncology at a vet school. And I was noticing that the, the you know, the, the pets were coming in with cancer, but also the owners had cancer. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, like, why is, why is everybody getting cancer? And I thought, oh, wow, it's the food. Everybody's eating the same thing. I mean, even though animals have their own food, they're manufactured the same way. They use the same plants. They use the same things that they're feeding us. They feed to them. And so everybody's being affected. So that's when I switched to more of, you know, I want to teach people how to grow their own food. But I also want people to understand, like, when you're growing your own food, there's a whole other world out there that you are kind of control of. And if you're doing the wrong things, you can affect the whole environment, Mm. not just you, but the insects and animals and everything. So you got to make sure you're doing the right thing. So, you know, I opened up my um, social media accounts and I started educating people about insects and about, you know, beyond just pollinators, about spiders, about, you know, they're not insects, they're arthropods, but they're out there. You know, people always equate everything that crawls with legs is, is an insect. <laughs> so I educate about, you know, no, there's different categories of things and some things are predators and this is what the young looks like. I know I, I probably saved millions of ladybugs recently by uh, educating people about what their larvae actually look like because mm-hmm. I would get, people send me pictures from around the world all the time having me identify things for them and I'm like um that's a ladybug larva and they were like well I just killed about 30 of them oh. like you don't kill those no <laughs> if they don't know mm-hmm. they don't know so I use my social media accounts and things to educate people on that and so I went and got a master's in entomology and my focus was more on medical entomology where insects that actually cause disease and other arthropods like ticks and mosquitoes and things. But I found people don't know anything about any insects. So with that, that's why I, you know, I really, I really hone in on insects because it's a world that most people don't know about. And if the insect world disappears, we're in trouble Mm because I mean, they, they contribute so much. They're relied on for so many different things, not just pollination, but there's also predators as well as, um, you know, we use them for, you know, fabric as well as food and things like that. And so if they disappear, then we'll eventually disappear because they're not there. And there's other animals and things that rely on them as well. Yeah. And I think this concept that you you were touching on, um, you know, right off the bat with, with the cockroaches that – we see them one way and we want to see them as contributing to our lives, but that's such a narrow-minded way and and false way for us to look at other living organisms on this planet. We are just one part of this interconnected web. Now, granted, we are an incredibly powerful part of this web and we have the capacity to do enormous damage, which we've done. And yes. we also have the capacity to to learn and change our ways and make a better contribution to the rest of these life forms we live with through some of our, our own expanded awareness, which is exactly where I see you coming in with your work and your really just powerful vision for Educating, but it's it's even more than educating. It's instilling us with this greater sense of what lives are doing and why they are both beautiful and important, um, 
which is, I think, really valuable work, especially with young people, uh, because it's right there that you learn that a spider is scary or a spider is super cool, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So did you grow up there in Ohio? Yes, I was born in Cincinnati in the city, which is funny because everybody thinks I was born in the country (laughs) because that's how I behave. Like, I don't, I don't, I've, I grew up in the city um, up until like 21. I lived here in Cincinnati and then I moved to, um, I actually moved to Columbus and I went to Ohio State up there and then I actually moved to Georgia. Um, But before that, like, I've always just lived in the city, but I used the city as the country. So, you know, even now I have like an urban farm on a a residential lot and things. I look at it as like, it's all earth. I mean, the country is no different than the city. It's all the same land. We just, we just have to utilize it differently. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. And clearly growing food, growing plants, that part of your work has always been an important thread as well. Did you grow up, I, I think you said your great-grandmother was a gardener. Was gardening always part of your, your family's ethos and nature? Not really. My grandmother garden, but my mother, she's actually a florist. So oh. I've always been around plants and flowers and mm. things um, since I was born. Uh, she started her flower shop back in late 70s. So I've always been amongst flowers. Mm. As far as the animals and the insects and stuff, that was just all me, though. Like, I, I didn't have anybody until I was a teenager that was actually like a mentor. I met a lady here in Cincinnati that she was actually a veterinarian. And um, she allowed me to shadow her. And that's when I got my first job at a vet hospital and I was her assistant and things like that. But prior to that, it was just pretty much me. Like I would go around and educate about if I caught something, if somebody wanted to listen, I was there to educate them. (laughs) It didn't matter if it was a classmate. Um, I used to have um, an iguana that I had for about 10 years. And I bought it when it was a baby and then it got really huge. But in the summertime, I would take it out. And I'm not really a people person, but, you know, I would take my iguana out just so it could get sunlight and I would be in the park and stuff and it would sit on my shoulder when it was small enough. And I just educate because, you know, that's a attention grabber. Mm-hmm. Somebody around this big old lizard and so people <laughs> would come up to me and I would educate them on what it is and I'd let the kids touch it and the adults touch it and I'd say, well, they, they'd be interested in like, well, how do you go about raising one of those? And I explained what had to be done and stuff and I'm like, this, this, this isn't a pet for everyone. And so, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of got out of my introvertness um, by using animals and insects and things because I, on average, I'm not going to come up and talk to anybody, but those insects and the animals and things that I would have, they would actually draw people to me and it would allow me to educate. Nadia Ruffin is an entomologist and educator in Cincinnati, Ohio. One of the things that drew me to her work was her incorporation of entomology as a whole into all of her work. We love and need pollinators in this world, and there's a lot of talk about the drastic situation of our pollinators in decline. But the reality is that we all, gardeners in particular, I think, need a better understanding of, love, and appreciation for our whole world of creatures not known or well understood by us. And we need to have this instilled in us as young as possible if and wherever possible. 
Nadia Ruffin's work really beautifully interweaves these two concepts together, love and knowledge of insects with their relationship to good farming, good gardening, and good food. Next week is National Pollinator Week, which runs from June 17th to the 23rd. So look for lots of celebrations around the bees, butterflies, flies, moths, and hummingbirds. But let's not forget the other creatures too, the predators and food sources and decomposers that we also rely on, and who could use a little more attention and even affection, as well as full-on respect. We'll be right back for more with Nadia Ruffin. Stay with us. Hey, so you might hear this in my voice in this episode, but Nadia Ruffin is a hero of mine. I admire the way she set aside her own introversion for her greater passion for sharing, how her own natural inclination to love the least among us in the form of insects and other life forms making our world possible is contagious. It's contagious to me, an online follower, and you can see that it's true for the students in her classes and after school and summer programs in her online posts. When we love something, we want to share it. If you love cultivating place, we'd love for you to share it. Share a specific conversation that moved you or made you think of something or of someone differently or more fully. Tell your best friend, your book group, your neighbor out weeding her front sidewalk. Tell your parents, your kids, because we know gardening. Hands-on gardening, community gardening, gardening therapy, meta-gardening, and quantum gardening, they make a difference in our world. Share it. Show people how to subscribe to the podcast on their phones, or get them onto the CP Instagram account, at cultivating underscore place. Along with sunlight, rain, night, and day, attention, and affection, Word of mouth is the best way for this podcast and its Cultivating Place community to grow. Now, back to our conversation with Nadia Ruffin, gardener, entomologist, business owner, and mother. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Nadia Ruffin is an entomologist, gardener, and educator. She's the founder of Agricademy Inc. and Urban Farm Sista, based in Cincinnati, Ohio. In 2018, a resolution from Cincinnati City Council honored Nadia's farming and agriculture initiatives, the primary focus of which is to share her knowledge and passion for the biological world and all that it offers to us in the way of endless and healthy wonder, food, beauty, and learning. As many people striving to do something new in a new way, Nadia incorporates her mission into at least three endeavors. We're back now to hear more. As far as I understand it, there are kind of three levels to the work that you do. The first one, Agricademy, and and I might be getting these out of order, Nadia. Um, Another one is Urban Farm Sista, then there's kiwi produce. Walk us yes. through these these three different aspects of your work and what you're kind of focusing on in each of them. 
So with Agri-Academy Incorporated, it's a nonprofit organization that I started uh, back in 2017, I believe, or it's 2008. I can't remember the actual dates. Um, but basically, that is what I use to go into the schools and uh, educate youth. I try to find, you know, public, Cincinnati public schools is what I try to focus on. And I try to focus on the, the audience of underrepresented youth that are in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, me being an African-American woman, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not too many of people like me that are even in this field. And so I try to get more children um, involved in agriculture and let them see that agriculture is around them all day, every day, everything they do. And so um, with Agri-Academy, what I do is I have an after-school program also where I do, or I use agri-science where I, you know, teach them about basic things that they just may not understand um, that they're doing every day that involves agriculture. And there's actually a job that goes along with that. So like recently um, they learned about uh, food science. So that was one of the areas we focused on. And I taught them about what's a what's a fruit, what's a vegetable, and things like that. And they actually got to make smoothies. Or like recently, another class we did was they learned about wheat, and they learned about you know being a baker and uh, what wheat, how it comes about, how the plants grown, how you make flour, and how you go about making bread and things. And I allowed them to taste mm-hmm. different types of bread, and you know spark that interest in maybe somebody wants to be a baker, or maybe somebody wants to be a food scientist, but they didn't even know this was available. So that's what I do at Agricademy. I introduced them to different industries within agriculture, not always just farming. Um, I had a veterinarian come, the actual veterinarian that was my mentor. She's an African-American lady also, and I had her come, and she spoke with the children. Um, Their age ranges are from um, third grade up to sixth grade, and she spoke with them, and uh, she allowed them to listen to a heartbeat of a dog on a stethoscope. They got to do a little exam, so they actually got to be vets for that day. That's great. Yes. So it it allows them to see that there's other things out there other than what they're used to seeing. Mm. It it opens up a new world for them. And every time I come in, they're just like so excited. They're like, what are we going to learn today? What are we going to do today? And things like that. So I'm I'm just glad that it's getting a good response amongst the children. Mm. Now, uh, Urban Farm Sister, that's my that's my name I created. And that's where I teach about everything that I do. So it's kind of like my general uh, account on uh, Instagram. So I might talk about, you know, Agri-Academy stuff on there as well as Kiwi Produce, which I'll talk about in a second, but as well as like some, you know, you know, national issues that are coming up or racial things that are ha- occurring or talk about, you know, the different industries. And also I used to be a disease investigator. So I always try to talk about uh, things like um, food safety and try to post about recalls and things on that nature and educate people about, you know, how recall goes about. And if there's a recall, why is a recall and right. what's the bacteria and educate about those types of things. Now at Kiwi Produce, that's my actual business where I actually grow produce here in the city and I sell it as well as I offer some classes for adults through that, uh, as well, like uh, hydroponics and things. And so that's more of my business and I, my consulting where I'll go and I'll help people set up like their farms or their gardens or if they want to do hydroponics or grow mushrooms and stuff. I help them actually set up a, a farm or whatever they're trying to do. So I do consulting and things through there. Mm-hmm. You touched on this, and I think it's an important um, thread that I'd like to follow up with you. We've just had this series on the program about habitat and creating habitat and the importance of, you know, home gardeners as these 
refuge and oases for creatures of all kinds, including human, for that matter, and the importance of gardeners as advocates and and guardians of this kind of understanding and advocacy. And you touch on the cultural dynamics, and I think that is such an important obstacle sometimes in our way to crossing barriers and and making a much fuller conversation when it comes to how we as humans create change for the better in these natural processes that we've interfered with, to be honest. And touch a little bit on the importance of that to you, especially maybe anecdotes for why this is important and and how you see it as really important to changing both the the imagery and the conversation about this with the students you're working with? Well, I, I think it's important because we're all, no matter what you look like, we're all living in this world together. Mm-hmm. And so the only way we're going to save this planet is we all have to be educated on what's right and what's wrong, as well as how to improve and how to change the way we're doing things. When I'm teaching the children about agriculture, I teach them like, you know, how things are ran right now. Um, when it comes to commercial agriculture, it's it's pretty bad. And that commercial agriculture is affecting everyone. It's not just, you know, affecting one demographic of people. Like when you have all this plastic and you have, you know, um, all the, the toxins and things that are going in the water, that affects everybody, not, you know, human, animal, insect, everything. And so if you're educating and you're saying, well, this is how this is done and how can we how can we change this? How can we improve this so that everybody is living, you know, normal and and, and peaceful and they don't have to deal with, you know, the things that come about about that. So I try to educate and, you know, say, you know, you can be involved in this process. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be excluded. I know, you know, like I say. Me being an African-American woman. I, I went through that whole process of when I went to school, there were not a lot of people that looked like me. And I had to deal with a lot of racial issues because of that. But I didn't let that stop me. And that's why with Agri Academy, I try to bring people that look like the children so they're interested and they, they know that, you know, there's others that look like you doing this. And we, wanna, you want, we want this to be a diverse um, industry. Yeah. We don't want just, you know, a certain population of people controlling all this because, you know, it's not working the way it is now. And also these children, they can bring in new technology and new ideas if they know that this option is available. So, you know, I, you know, it's just amazing. Like I I teach some third grade, I teach um, agri-science with some third graders in their science class. Their teacher asked me, "Could could I come in and like, you know, every time she has a lesson, just show them like some real world example. And it was funny because one little boy, he's in third grade and we were talking about photosynthesis um, in the beginning of the school year. Uh, we were, they actually grew plants in hydroponics, and I showed them how to do that. And then when we got to the uh, chickens, I had hatched some quail eggs and things, and I was telling them, you know, this is this is the process. You know, the birds, there's actual holes in the uh, eggshell, and the birds have to breathe as they're developing. And so they breathe in oxygen, and they exhale CO2. And the one little boy raised his hand, and he was like, Oh, I remember CO2 when we were talking about photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. And then you told us in photosynthesis that the, the plants, they take in our CO2 
and then they take that CO2 and they convert it to oxygen that we breathe. And he, so he remembered the connection. <sighs> and that's all I'm trying to do is like, everything is connected on this planet. Yeah. It's down to the little chick developing in the egg that we all rely on each other, whether it's plant, animal, human, whatever. And that's all I wanted to do is teach them that link and that we're all linked together. Yeah, 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 yeah. That That is great. And I would imagine... Um, now, I, I don't know the numbers on this, Nadia, but I'm guessing they are uh, pretty disproportionately weighted towards uh, white male demographic as yeah. the primary faces we're seeing in agri-science across the board. So I, I think having you be an African heritage woman uh, gets to a couple of different changes in conversation and uh, awareness that these children are seeing. And to have you and your colleague veterinarian um, both giving them this really expanded view of what is possible and, and who does these things, right? Exactly, yes. So, yes, it is heavily Caucasian males in the industry of agriculture. But everybody thinks when you say agriculture, it's just farms. Mm-hmm. and. I try to teach that, yes, farming is a big aspect of that, but even to get that farm into existence, there are a lot of different, you know, components. You have to have scientists, you have to have doctors, you have to have um, business owners, you have to have mathematicians, you have to have computer scientists and things. And all of these options are available in the uh, industry of agriculture. Actually, a lot of the schools, like they have different, you know, branches that you can even focus on. There's animal science, there's uh, agricultural engineering, there's, um, you know, there's a horticulture where you're actually cultivating the plants, which everybody's so familiar with. Mm. There's the actual marketing. And so I try to pull all of that out and, and show the children, again, everything works together. If you don't have the inspector, if you don't have the chicken farmer, you don't have the inspector. You don't have the uh, grocery store, you know, it, so it all works together and, and all of it is involved in the same industry. And so I try to show them like, you know, you can do this. You can be a female. You can be a male. You can be a black male. You can be a Hispanic. You can you can all do this. It's not just farming. And you don't always have to even go to college. I mean, there's so many different things even underneath that whole branch that you don't have to even have degrees for. And so I try to show them that. I try to show them all types of aspects. Like some of these things, you're going to have to have no advanced degrees if you're going to be a veterinarian. But say you want to be a hydroponics farmer. All you have to do is have that knowledge and know how to grow and cultivate plants. You don't have to get a degree for that. So I try to show them all different aspects. Next week is National Pollinator Week, and as celebration of increased knowledge and appreciation for all the life forms around us, from the small to the invisible to the naked eye, we're speaking today with Nadia Ruffin, an entomologist and healthy food advocate, passionately sharing her knowledge with us and with students online and in person in and around Cincinnati, Ohio. Nadia teaches about everything, from honeybees to chocolate, cockroaches to earthworms and millipedes, hoping to wake people up to the wonder of such things and to their constant presence in our everyday lives. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more. So, thinking out loud this week for me is all about fear. 
We forget how powerful it is to really be afraid of something. And when we're really afraid of something, we sometimes forget or just put aside how irrationally we can react and respond. Some things deserve our full fear. For instance, harmful chemicals in our food and water, the loss of biodiversity on our planet, but other things like spiders and snakes and cockroaches. They don't necessarily deserve our fear. We likely don't want them in our kitchens, but we want them in our world. They deserve our respect, not our fear and our instinct to kill them. It's easy to love butterflies and hummingbirds, harder to love and care for things we're afraid of. I have to ask myself, what messages do I send to my daughters? What will I pass to them unintentionally in the form of fear? What am I afraid of? And in what ways might this, especially the irrational ones, what might these fears be holding me back from or What of them might be harming another? There's a lot to ponder there as I weed and water and hang out with my plant friends and their many interconnected friends in the garden this week. Now, back to our conversation with Nadia Ruffin, gardener, entomologist, business owner, and mother. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Nadia Ruffin shares her love of all manner of life forms, large and small, with students old and young, in classrooms, after-school programs, and suburban programs all around Cincinnati, Ohio, where she was born and raised. She also shares her knowledge in active online communities under the names Agricademy, Urban Farm Sista, and Kiwi Produce. In this last segment of our conversation, we really get into the ideas of facing our fears and realizing we're all in this together, cockroaches and all, if we ever hope to make changes the world needs. When it comes to the interweaving of the entomology, especially in the agri-academy or in your urban farm sister work, what, what do you think are your greatest obstacles in this work, whether they're, you know, internal to you or external to the world? What are your greatest obstacles in bringing this amazement you have for it to other people? Um, getting over people's fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why people were taught to fear insects. And it seems to be only, you know, here in the United States that that fear was created. Because if you go outside of this country, people, they use insects for all types of things. They even eat them. And it's like, what created this fear? Like, I I know, like, insects, you know, they they can destroy crops. Yes, they can. And and there's things that we do that contribute to that. But I don't know where the fear came from. Because I'll ask people, even as adults, like, why, why are you scared of spiders? Well, they're, they're hairy, but it's not to explain like, well, those hairs serve a purpose. What, what about hair makes you scared? Well, they have eight legs. Well, you have two. I mean, they should be scared of you then. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I don't know what the fear is. And that's the biggest obstacle is getting people over their fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a few people, uh, we have what are called periodical cicadas that occur here like every 13 
10, 17 years and they'll come up and they come out in like in the millions. Mm -hmm. And every time these things emerge, people like lose their minds. And so they came out uh, about two years ago and I held a class on, you know, cicadas, uh, did a little background information about like explaining like the broods that come up and things like that. And I actually had a girl there that she was like terrified. She was, she's a little bit older than I am. And after the end of that class, she actually held a live cicada and she realized that, you know, that fear that I had, it, it, it was, it, there was no source for it. It was just, she saw her mother or somebody who was scared of it. So she right. just became afraid of it. And it, she just held on to that fear for almost 40 something years. Yeah. And so having that class and allowing them to actually touch the insects and then actually showing them videos of them, like, you know, emerging and things like that. She got over that fear. So that's one of the biggest obstacles. Uh, also people un not understanding, you know, if you plant something, insects are going to come. Uh, and that in all insects, just because they're feeding on your plants, it doesn't make them bad. They're just trying to survive just like you are. That's, that's their host plant. That's what they grow their young on. And, you know, if you plant these things are going to come and there's ways you can prevent them without having to go grab a can of spray. That's going to, you know, affect everybody in the environment. Yeah. Um, you can do, you know, put netting or things over or wait to plant things later on in the season when these insects are not out and trying to mate and things like that. So it's getting over people's fears, but also getting over people, you know, I have to kill it. Everything doesn't have to be killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you put it outside and it, it, it's not, it's not a threat to you. And even the things that are a threat, you just the, you, there's ways to avoid them. And it's, it's just ways to even put some things outside and, you know, where you won't hurt yourself and you won't hurt it. So those are the biggest things that I have to get over uh, with people is their fears and then thinking that it has to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, speaking just from real personal experience on my part, I was definitely brought up to be afraid of spiders. I don't know where it came from. I don't think my parents were afraid of spiders, but I, I grew up very afraid of spiders. And I remember as a young mother being at a nature museum with my daughter, who was maybe three or four, and they had tarantulas. And I realized in that moment where the docent is helping people hold the tarantula, that this was a fantastic opportunity for me to both, one, face my fear, and two, model the difference. And I'm still scared of spiders. I'm going to just acknowledge that right off the bat. But I can talk myself out of that fear or at least over that fear enough to not – to work hard to not model that irrational fear to my children and – to know that that doesn't mean I have to kill something. And so right. even if we can't get over our fears, we can be smarter than them and not react to them in a moment. And I, I think that was a really big turning point for me as a mom and a great source of pride. I have like a photo, Nadia, of the tarantula <laughs> on my hand. And I, I can still like feel the pain in my legs from that uh -huh. fear, you know. So – but – but that's that's okay. Like we're adults, we can do these things. Right. Yeah. And that that was with the same thing with the lady that was that you know held a cicada. She said that she didn't want to pass that same fear on to her son because she doesn't even know where it came from. Right. And that's why she did it because he was there and he watched her do it, 
and that, you know, our children learn from us. So mm-hmm. if they're scared, they're going to be scared or you don't like something, they're probably not going to like it. And so that's why she came. And that's why she said that she had to do that for her, not just for herself, but for her son as well. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the obstacles. When when you look back over over this work that you're doing and, and your hopes for it as it as it moves forward, have you had like great surprises? And I, I think the example of the woman holding the cicada and overcoming this fear to some extent is certainly among them. But have there been great surprises of for you with especially maybe children? Well, not even anybody in this work that you're doing where you have that moment of saying, ah, that's it. That's why I'm here. Yeah, like I told you the story with the young man and yeah. the, uh, the third grader. That was one instance. And then, yes, the lady that got over her fear. Um, also, just, you know, I'm just under the impression that everybody knows certain things. And it, uh, it was it was one instance where I had read an article and someone didn't know that, you know, bell peppers that they start out green and then they change colors and so they i i made a post and i was like i didn't know people didn't know that you know both peppers start out green they'll turn maybe yellow or some other color then their final color is usually going to be red and i found out that the vast majority of people didn't know this. So Mm -hmm. I made a video and I explained, you know, the whole scientific process behind it. And like when you go to the grocery store, you know, the green peppers, they cost a lot less than the the yellow or the red or the orange. But in reality, they're all the same thing. It's just different stages of maturity. And people were amazed by that. They didn't know that. Like, and I was like, wow. And then, you know, I've, I've encountered people, they don't, they just take things for granted, I think, because they go to the grocery store and they don't realize, you know, the plants, the process it took to get those things there, the meat, the eggs and things. I had a girl, she had to be in her mid-20s, and um, I was teaching some children about chickens and I was talking about eggs and she came up and she was like, well, why are you holding that chicken? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm teaching these children about eggs. And she was like, why are you teaching them about eggs? I was like, you know, eggs come from chickens she didn't know this and so she was like oh eggs come from chickens when when did that happen like (laughs) so that was like a a teaching moment for her but it was like I thought everybody knew this right like and so that's the problem we as humans we're so disconnected from everything now like as far as nature's concerned that we don't even see the basic things. We don't understand like the pepper, the pepper instance, or even how the stuff just gets to the grocery store. There's, there's a, there's a process. Like when I talked to kids, kids about popcorn recently, they didn't know it was a whole science behind even popping corn. Like, um, the, that when you heat it up, there's water inside the seed. Some of them didn't even know that, uh, that, that it's actually a seed that can actually grow another corn plant. So it's things like that. We've just been so, far removed and then when you actually present this information everybody's amazed like wow and it's like this stuff happens around you every day all day like right. <laughs> it seems like you would have known this but if you're not in tune with it of course you're not going to know it so having those moments where I'm able to teach and then they they're like oh wow I didn't know that thanks for teaching me that I guess those those are the moments that I, I just I keep doing it for so yeah 
And those moments are so expansive for you and me as well. I mean, I, I, I definitely experience the same thing. And I have to catch myself and think, they're not stupid. It's they're not stupid that they don't know this. I didn't I wasn't born knowing this. Somebody right. showed me. Somebody made the connection for me. Somebody fostered curiosity in me just like you are doing with these children. And right. I think it's really important that we as as educators keep seeing that blind spot in ourselves because it's not a question of lack of inherent curiosity or lack of inherent intelligence, it's exposure. It's exposure and being modeled this great joy. Exactly. Yeah. And I see you doing that every day, Nadia, and I'm just really, um, I'm so happy that you're out there in the world doing this. Are there other areas for you that, I mean, I, I think you've touched on how this has brought you out of your shell and, you know, helped you like sort of move past introversion because you want to share this with other people. And that's powerful enough for you to say, okay, I'll just go talk to strangers and teach kids. And are there other areas or ways that you have found this has expanded you as a plant, insect, life-loving person? (laughs) Um, yeah, it, it's taught me a lot of patience too, um, <laughs> <laughs> because like I say, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very inquisitive and person that wants to know why something works this way and why is it doing this and how is it doing this? And, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I've been always, always about the scientific method. And so I had to come up with this, you know, you know, everybody's not like you, Nadia. So you have to be patient because, you know, I get it, but, you know, it's going to take other people a little longer to get it. Some people may not ever get it. And you have to you just have to deal with that. Like, OK, well, you know, I, I put it out there and I've educated. I've tried to, you know, when it comes, especially when it comes to the insects, try to get over people's fears. But still, people are still going to go out and kill stuff. So I have to, you know. I just have to just keep educating. And so that patience, you know, eventually maybe they'll come around, but you can't let it stop you. and can't let it get you angry. Yeah. I guess also it, it, it has opened up, you know, I want, I want to learn more. I mean, you know, I know a lot of stuff, but there's still a lot of things I don't know. So right. um, I want to learn more myself. And so I'll, I'll go out and I'll, I'll, I'll take classes and things. And then, you know, what I, what I learned from that, then I'll go and teach it to someone else. So yeah, yeah, it is, it has expanded me to want to be more, you know, more knowledgeable in other areas as well. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add about this work that you do and clearly love and um, its importance or your hopes for it in the world? Um, I just hope that, you know, using social media, I've, I've reached a lot of people and I just hope to reach a lot more. Um, I'm also hoping that I can, you know, eventually open up like an actual school and people can actually come to that and and just learn more. I would hope that, you know, agri-science and agri- uh, agriculture is actually integrated into more school curriculums because it's needed. Um, I, I just... I know everybody's on this STEM kick, and I just don't like that whole term STEM because it separates everything out. Uh, in actuality, science and you know nature and life, everything works together. You can't just you can't 
talk about biology without talking about chemistry, without talking about physics. It all works together. And it should just be, you know, they focus on STEM. They're going to focus on the science today and the technology tomorrow. Why don't you just focus on all of it on the same time, on that same day, because it all works together. You can't pull it all out because then that creates the confusion. And I think that's what also makes people bored with it. If you're going to talk about biology, you can't talk about biology without talking about the chemistry behind it. So if you put it all together and you, you present it to people, like, say you're going to talk about fermentation. And fermentation can be boring because all you're talking about is yeast and how to break it down sugar. But if you show them, like, oh, let's talk about bread and talk about fermentation, then they actually see something there that put it all together. And you have a whole lesson there. You have biology. You have talking about fungi. You're talking about chemistry, uh, alcohol, all types of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that's what I want is that it's not broken down. It's all taught together. And it can all be taught together and they can people understand it, I think, better when it's taught together instead of trying to separate it out. So I'm hoping that I can, you know, integrate this whole curriculum into more schools and eventually, like I said, start my own school and so people can come to that as well. Yeah. And I think that that concept you were just getting to with the the breaking things down and isolating things into tidy little boxes, that's part of what got us maybe into the problematic mindset of thinking that humans are outside of nature and and that these creatures or lives are there for our use and our disposal. Um, And, you know, which you brought up right at the beginning of this conversation and your sense of integration helps to put us back in our proper perspective and place as just one tiny part of this big, incredible web. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today, Nadia. It has been an honor to speak with you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you very much for having me on the program. Next week is National Pollinator Week. And in advance celebration, I thought we'd open up the love to all of the smallest creatures. From cockroaches to spiders to the pollinators, we love and champion more regularly. As a sort of extension to our Habitat Garden series earlier this spring, we step back a bit and consider how we learn and know the world around us in order to want to create habitat and even know where to start. In my mind, this starts with how we as children had this learning and appreciation modeled to us. If we're taught to be afraid of spiders and snakes and snails, protecting their valuable positions in our world will not come easily. If, however, we were taught to see every creature as interesting and valuable in their own right, this will come far more naturally. Today we spoke with Nadia Ruffin, founder of AgriCademy, Urban Farm Sista, and Kiwi Produce based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Nadia is working in this world to make sure that as many people as possible develop a much greater appreciation and love for all the creatures of our world. By way of expanding on this conversation with Nadia, I wanted to point you all to the most recent issue of Flora, one of the publications of the California Native Plant Society. In this issue, Bob Allen, also known as Bug Bob, an adjunct professor of biology, research associate in entomology, and horticultural consultant in Southern California, reminds us of some important connections between supporting insect life and our gardens. His first connection being 
being that of the importance of native plants, which serve as food and shelter for many species of native insects. Whether in the wild or in the garden, native plants and native insects exhibit a variety of fascinating interactions, which, he says, can be boiled down to one or two-sided interactions. One-sided interactions benefit the individual insects that feed on the plant, such as on the sap, the leaves, the buds, or other parts. Since most herbivorous insects are host-specific, they feed only on one or a few related plants species. Just having these native plants in the garden promotes survival of their dependent native insects. This was the case of the monarch butterfly and their host milkweed plant we explored more about in our conversation with Dr. Anurag Agrawal. Two-sided or mutually beneficial interactions are activities that provide benefit to both insect and plant. And Bob notes that certainly the most widely discussed two-way interaction is, of course, pollination. Adult insects use the pollen and nectar they collect to feed themselves and or feed their young, and in return, insect-pollinated native plants require these insects for their own reproduction. Bob goes on to outline that we can support these native insects by using locally native plants, eliminating pesticides, reducing garden disturbance, controlling our use of mulch, and changing human notions about native insects. Bob summarizes by saying, we must change the all-too-common human perception that having insects on our plants is a bad thing. It's not. Enjoy the insects. So, as we go into National Pollinator Week, remember to enjoy the insects, all of the insects. Join us again next week when we explore one of the summer garden's greatest joys, the melons, with passionate melon grower, seed saver, and advocate Amy Goldman. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. For more information and many photos from Nadia Ruffin's work, please see this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. Our producer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.